Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thank you all for joining us as always. Once again today, we have an awful lot to talk about. And once again, uh, abortion tops the political news in the state. We're going to get to that and much more on the show in the next few minutes. But first, let me introduce the panel. Kevin Riley, the boss, the editor-in-chief of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with me as he is on Thursdays. Kevin, thanks for joining us. It's really good to have you here. Bill, I'm really excited to be here. Great panel. And let's see what Turfel Walker is up to today. What do you say? It'll be one of the things we'll talk about, certainly, Kevin. Um, We're also glad to welcome back, after an absence of a while, uh, Renee Alegria, the CEO of Mundo Now, one of the largest digital platforms uh, for news for the Hispanic community across the country. Renee, it's so good to have you back. Thank you for being here. No, thank you for asking me again. I, I, uh, I, I've missed you all. I obviously listen to you pretty much every day. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Um, Jordan Fuchs is back with us as well. We're really uh, glad to welcome you back, Jordan. Jordan is a Republican political consultant right now. She's also the Deputy Secretary of State under Brad Raffensperger and has taken a leave uh, to work with her Republican uh, clients in this cycle. We have agreed, and in fact, Jordan was the first one to mention it, that she understands uh, that it would not be appropriate for her to promote her clients. We don't even talk about her clients on the days you're on the show, Jordan, but we're so glad to have you here because um, you've always been such an astute observer of politics. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bill. And Melita Easters is back with us as well. Melita, of course, is the founder and the director of the Georgia Win List, which for uh, many years now has been identifying and supporting uh, uh, Democratic women who are pro-choice. And you have a number of candidates, of course, again, this cycle, Melita. And obviously, given that uh, the win list has always been about pro-choice women, uh, you are right now in one of the most probably interesting and intense periods of time uh, since the win list began. Yes. In 22 years, we've never had more candidates, 59 on the ballot this year. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Absolutely. All right, let's get right to it. Um, Let's start, uh, Kevin Riley, with Robert McBurney, Judge McBurney, Fulton County Superior Court judge, who um, had been asked by plaintiffs, uh, Sister Song and other pro-choice organizations, uh, to throw out Georgia's uh, heartbeat abortion law on the basis that uh, the, the Georgia Constitution has stricter privacy provisions than the U.S. Constitution. Well, we'll see how all that plays out in court. But the state, in responding to the Sister Song uh, 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 case suit, said, we understand this will go to go to trial. We ask, uh, Judge, that you postpone it till after the election. We've got a lot to do between now and then, uh, and it wouldn't be appropriate to take it on at this point. Judge McBurney has now said no. We are going to take this up uh, before the election. It's an important case. The uh, trial, Kevin, is going to start on October 24th. It's really a two-day hearing, October 24th and October 25th. And, of course, what that means is as if abortion weren't already uh, a huge part of the uh, midterm elections, it's going to be part of the – it's going to be really front and center when uh, McBurney starts hearing arguments on both sides, Kevin. Yeah, how about Judge McBurney? I don't. I, I know that over at the Superior Court, 
cases are doled out sort of in a lottery system, but he just shows up in all the toughest ones, the Tex MacGyver trial. He's got this case. And he's also overseeing that Trump grand jury. So uh, I don't know. Uh, he seems he seems pretty busy. But I, I, don't, I mean, it's hard to tell, of course, um, uh, what the uh, outcome will be in the sense that maybe he's like, hey, this thing is sort of an obvious issue given what's happened and we might as well dispense with it. Or if there's uh, some other complication, I, you know, when we had Fred Smith on a, a, a few weeks back, uh, you know, our consti- your, your frequent guest and constitutional scholar from Emory um, and law professor, he pointed out that uh, in Georgia, it's, there's something in the Constitution that prevents the legislature from passing a law that is unconstitutional at the time it is passed. And there were some people who were arguing that that uh, abortion ban was, in fact, on unconstitutional because it was passed before the decision in the Dobbs case. So I'm just wondering if this is a can of worms that's going to be opened up or something that's just going to be done quickly. So I think it'll be interesting to watch. Renee, um, uh, let me just read a couple of things McBurney has said about this case. When it was presented to him um, and when the plaintiffs asked for a, 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 a fairly quick schedule for getting this before the judge in trial, he said this, I understand that this is something that needs immediate attention. This is an important issue that has been rippling across the country. We need to deal with how Georgia, or at least one little judge in Fulton County, is going to deal with it initially. And you all are going to take it to bigger and better places once I've had my say. So, Renee, clearly uh, McBurney realizes this is the first step, and he wants to get it moving before it moves on to higher courts. Yeah, look, I, I I think that there's just going to be so many cases like this that open up all around the country, right? Another salvo from uh, one side, the other side, uh, that yes, to quote Kevin, it's going to be interesting to watch. What is to me more interesting uh, is just how how the electorate is going to be um, influenced by watching this royal out in court. You know, you, you, you read a lot, you see a lot of how women in particular um, are affected by the Dobbs ruling and what that does psychologically to the electorate. Um, having a right taken away um, is just not a part of our American history, right? So what is that what does that then feed into uh, when we come to midterms and, of course, the 24 election? Uh, it, it's it's uh, it is an interesting time. And I, I you know, again, you're going to you're going to see these individuals like the judge in Fulton um, stand up, make a difference again, left or right. And uh, and we're going to see, you know, depending on on what what lens you're you're viewing it from, uh People become heroes or anti-heroes in this entire thing, and you know it's 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 uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how particularly women um, vote and uh, in you know, as as the months go on. Jordan, um, we've we've come to know that McBurney is capable of having a very wry sense of humor in some of the uh, issue uh, rulings that he issues, uh, and he can be quite stinging and sarcastic. Uh, in telling uh, the, the uh, parties in this dispute that he's going to move forward on October 24th and 25th, regardless of the fact the state doesn't want it to be held until after the election. Here's what McBurney said, quote, the state has offered four reasons for this cancellation, which can be summarized as we are really busy with other things. There are no facts in dispute. We don't know what facts are in dispute. And you can't do what you're trying to do. To all of those, McBurney said, uh, well, we're all busy. Uh, Yes, there are facts in dispute. And yes, uh, I can do what I'm about to do. Uh, Jordan, it's wonderful to get a chance to see that sense of humor that he portrays. But give us your take on how important it is that this case will be heard before the election. I I mean... I think we're all used to seeing the courts being politicized at this point. And so I, I'm just going to leave it to the lawyers when it when it comes to this kind of stuff. But it, when it comes to the politics of it, um, all this is going to do is ramp up attention on this election. It's going to engage the activists on both sides. 
And what we're really talking about in the general election is what is it going to do to undecided, educated women who are pro-choice? And it's very clear that they are going to decide to vote on either that issue or the economy um, come November. Melita? Well, I think um, we all appreciate Judge McBurney's um, terse sense of humor. Um, but I think that the ramifications of this case are far greater than psychological because they impact the medical care women are able to receive. For example, women who are in the midst of miscarriage or women who um, are on certain medications for autoimmune disorders and now pharmacists are reluctant to prescribe those medications because they're also used for abortion care. So there is a sense of urgency far beyond the psychological to this issue and to having it heard. I do believe that women will be newly enraged by some of the testimony they will hear during this two-day hearing. And the hearing will come during the time of early voting when you have more than a week of early voting left. And so it will be I think, have an impact on motivating at the base on both sides of the issue. And, and what it does to turn out remains to be seen. Well, Melita, let me follow up, if I may. Um, when you look at polling, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's uh, most recent poll and other polls around the country, abortion is not showing up high on the list of, Democrat, of voters uh, and they are saying the economy is far more important. Um, how concerned are you that the issue hasn't been elevated, even at a time when can candidates like, obviously, Stacey Abrams are trying to build a case uh, around how important it is that Democrats get elected? I think that, that polling is not an exact science, and some of those weighting of issues types of questions don't fully reflect what women are feeling. And so I do believe that abortion will be a greater issue in this election cycle than some of the polling might lead folks to believe. And when it is a greater issue, I believe the women who are concerned about the future medical care for their daughters and their granddaughters will come to the polls and make those feelings known. Jordan, let's get a quick reaction from you on that question. Sure. I, I think women's health is a lot more complex than just related to abortion. Um, I, I, I think Again, I think the voters and, and activists and political consultants are used to seeing the courts being politicized in this way. It's going to be interesting to see of those who are undecided what they do. And, you know, when they walk into that voter box, are they thinking about abortion or are they thinking about the economy that's in their face every day? Um, so that's that's my take on it. OK, so. Renee, let me ask you about that as well. Let's follow this track just for a couple more minutes before we turn to the latest on Herschel Walker. Um, I think I may, in my head, put Hispanic voters in a uh, stereotypical box when it comes to abortion, uh, because I assume there is a large anti-abortion sentiment that may be based on the overwhelming percentage of Hispanics who are Catholic. But I think the polling has shown, at least recently, that Hispanic voters are as concerned about the issue of abortion as uh, uh, many others who are pro-choice. Renee? Yeah, you know what? Um, traditionally, stereotypically, that has been the case with polling. But we're living in a new era now, and, and abortion and care for women's health is what's at issue. And I think that is connect, connects to uh, the economy with households being able to afford health care overall. Uh, you know, the, these, these Hispanic households, for the most part, are, are run by, by women. And women who, you know, go, go to 
for example, Planned Parenthood to seek health for uh, for themselves is is an issue beyond abortion, but it's all tied in. Um, so I there is definitely something changing within uh, newer generations of Hispanics in the United States as you get into second and third generation. But also, I think folks are getting a, a more accurate picture of what and who we are in this country. And that certainly uh, uh, changes things. All right. Um, thank you for that. I do think we should move on to the latest on Herschel Walker. Um, and Kevin, l- let me just, the, the very basic new reporting from the Daily Beast, which was the news organization that broke the story about the woman an- who who came forward anonymously to say that uh, she had a long-term relationship with Herschel Walker. It's back in early 2000s. And that uh, uh, they had become pregnant together. She had become pregnant by him. That he urged her to have an abortion uh, and then paid for it. We know that part of the story. What the Daily Beast subsequently has reported now is the woman uh, has said um, that after hearing Herschel Walker's denials, uh, she realized that she needed to say more. And one of the things she told the reporter, the Daily Beast, is um, he not only... I not only had an abortion uh, by, because of Walker, I actually gave birth to Herschel Walker's child. Now, Kevin, let me start this, because I think our listeners deserve to hear this. There is no independent confirmation of this story, to the best of my knowledge, from any other news organization. We have the Daily Beast has reported it. They, are, they seem to be solid in their facts about this. But let's be clear, not... Not the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, GPB. None of, it's, none of those organizations and others have any, had any independent confirmation of this story. That doesn't make it less important, does it? No, but I, I think it's important for people to understand that. And, and the Daily Beast track record on its reporting of stories with this sort of significance has been pretty solid, too, in, in recent times. Uh, so I do think, again, as a member of the media, you, you feel like they're not putting that out there unless they're pretty solid. And, and what we're doing is reporting on what they've reported. The other thing about that, too, Bill, is, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, is Herschel Walker's son coming out and really reinforcing that reporting and sort of um, uh, setting up his own um, point of view on it That's that, that has created another line of criticism because – the position that you know uh, Walker has taken, and some of many of his supporters have taken, is this is untrue, this is a lie, this is made up, this is a democratic plot, all of that. Uh, but in the end, I think where it's going to go is like, well, uh, you know, I support Herschel, and he's made mistakes in his life, and I'm sticking with him because he has uh, atoned for those mistakes or acknowledged them, or is a different man now than he was when he made those mistakes. Um, the outright denial, the threatened, the threatened, the threat of the lawsuit, uh, you know, to me was a uh, unusual and perhaps poor initial reaction because as uh, those of us who who know a little bit about defamation suits or libel suits, uh, the discovery process. I mean, uh, what Herschel would be exposed to in in seeking to file a lawsuit and and really uh, go after the Daily Beast would require him to. Uh, uh, expose himself to all kinds of scrutiny. And I doubt that uh, he really wants to do that. Um, Melita, uh, here's just one of the things the woman, after Walker's denial, after the Daily Beast first reported the story, Walker adamantly denied it. Then the woman talked to the Daily Beast again. It was at that point she told them that she had given birth to a child by Herschel Walker. And she also then expanded on their relationship, saying it had been a long-term affair. And then she said this, quote, I have been very civil thus far. I keep my mouth shut. I don't cause any trouble. I stay in the background, but I'm also not going to get run over time and time again. That's crazy. Your thoughts? Well, you have to empathize with this woman. And, um, it seems to me that, that Herschel Walker has spent years outrunning both wisdom and the truth, and this week, karma tackled him. 
And, you know, the, the, the Republicans, um, I think Dana Lash's quote, I don't care if Herschel Walker paid to abort endangered baby eagles. I want control of the Senate, end quote, seems to reflect an obsession with control of the Senate that has not been rebuked or disavowed. And, and yet you have somebody like Governor Dun- Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan saying that Republicans knew there was baggage, but nobody um, realized the weight of the baggage. It, it's kind of like a, a phrase my single friends and I used to have about men. We didn't mind carry-on baggage. We just didn't want steamer trunks. And I think the Republicans... <laughs> The Republicans now have a steamer trunk of baggage with their Senate candidate, Herschel Walker, and it's it's baggage they knew about before the primary. But the Trump name and the Heisman Trophy carried Herschel over the finish line to victory. Jordan, there has certainly been reporting by any number of news organizations uh, at, at this point that uh, saying that that the senior exe- uh, people in the Walker campaign really knew about this this uh, story a long time ago and just hoped that it wouldn't come out, didn't plan for what might happen if it did. Um, you, look, I, I know you're going to be cautious about talking about other consultants out there, but this strikes me as potentially... Uh, political malpractice, not to have a plan for how you would deal with it if it did come out. I mean, I, I'm not going to criticize them over there. This this is a tough issue. It, it's very clear that there's a lot of pain within that family if this is if this is true, and you never want to be hit with this, you know, a week before early voting. Uh, I think there is a bigger discussion to be had, which is Trump supported a number of weaker general election candidates in Georgia, Ohio, Arizona, Pennsylvania. And once again, we're probably going to see that he is going to cost the GOP the Senate for a second time. So vetting candidates before uh, primary might be a good idea. Um, that That's not really something the consultants do, but the, the party definitely does. Kevin? You know, one of the other fascinating things about this, of course, is um, what his son has had to say. And um, I can't help but but think about this. Um, Of course, that has been a huge issue. And, you know, we don't know how damaging it it may or may not be, uh, ultimately, to Herschel Walker. But, you know, the guy is 23 years old, his son. And if, you know, in our society, typically people who become famous are either athletes or uh, like movie stars, and they have a lot of people around them to to guide them and maybe uh, keep them out of the public eye in difficult situations. Now we have, you know, online influencers who apparently just get famous by being outrageous, um, and that's all it takes. Um, and so then he is thrust into this into this situation as a young man, and is is actually leading the news cycle uh, routinely now. It it's just, I mean, to me, it's just a strange, weird, difficult situation. You know, I mean, I think about myself, and I think we can all, can all imagine ourselves at that age, being thrust in the spotlight because of our our, our father, who you know is divorced from our mother or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, uh, what this uh, 23-year-old guy has to say is dictating perhaps political strategy and ultimately perhaps the outcome of an election. It just seems like we're in a strange place for something like that to happen. I just wonder what others on the panel think about that. Well, let me, let me throw something in about that, in fact. I mean, th- there's no question, I said it on the show the other day, that for, for, the, for the family themselves, for a Christian uh, and, and his mother, uh, Gross, Cindy Grossman, th- this is a tragic story, um, uh, if everything that we've heard is true. Um, and, and, and he must have come up as a young boy in a very difficult household. We should also point out that we've learned a lot more, people like I have at least, that uh, uh, you know Christian Walker is also a very outrageous presence on social media. He is an extreme right-wing uh, 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 social influencer. Uh, he uh, 
He's uh, condemned Black Lives Matter uh, routinely. Um, I don't want to even list all of the ways in which he's considered a pretty outrageous character, none of which has anything to do with his speaking out now about his father. Um, but uh, it, it does, I think, to some extent suggest how you come out of a really troubled uh, family and uh, end up uh, being perhaps um, a little outside the uh, the rest of the community around you. I want to be as careful about how I say that as possible. I want to talk more about Walker because the response from the Christian community has been particularly interesting. But why don't we do this? Let's get our first break of the show out of the way before we come back with more on today's Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jordan Fuchs, Renee Alegria, Melita Easters, and Kevin Riley joined me for today's show. We're talking again about the Herschel Walker story, which, of course, we should point out uh, with uh, early voting getting set to begin in a little bit more than a week, um, absentee voting underway. Uh, this story uh, absolutely dominates anything that Herschel Walker would try to say to change the narrative. But it also is has an impact on other campaigns. Melita Easter is, I, I do want to go back to Herschel, but if I'm the Abrams campaign and I and I see polling that suggests I may be a bit behind Brian Kemp, this story takes the oxygen out of my efforts to uh, uh, get uh, my issues in front of the voter as well, doesn't it? Well, it takes the oxygen out of, of every candidate's effort. Abrams, sure. Warnock. I mean, Warnock is all over the state, but nobody's talking about his bipartisan efforts. People aren't acknowledging his trips to hither and yon across every part of the state, while Herschel hides behind closed doors with ministers um, at a church. So, you know, it takes the air out of everybody's room, but it also will have an impact on voter turnout. And, and I'm not sure any of us fully understand whose voters will be more motivated by this, whether it will be Republican voters who are more mo motivated to hunker down, as Larry Munson might say, and get out the vote for Herschel, or whether it will be Democratic voters and middle voters and even those in the faith community who are outraged by the perversion of faith on behalf of Walker. So it, it's, it's definitely interesting, uncharted territory for all of us. All right, Melita, you use the word perversion of faith by Walker. Um, that leads me to play for everybody a brand new commercial that the Walker campaign has just dropped. Uh, in it, uh, we see Herschel Walker looking directly into the camera, talking to us as voters. Let's play the audio of it and uh, then discuss it. Rebel One Up's running a nasty, dishonest campaign, perfect for Washington. The Reverend doesn't even tell my full story, my true story. As everyone knows, I had a real battle with mental health, even wrote a book about it. And by the grace of God, I've overcome it. Warnock's a preacher who doesn't tell the truth. He doesn't even believe in redemption. I'm Herschel Walker, saved by grace, and I approve this message. Um, so, Kevin, it, first of all, obviously he never mentions abortion in this spot, but I don't think there's any question uh, of what he is talking about here. Yeah, I mean, uh, he does start out with Reverend Warnock as not telling the truth about him. I mean, Reverend Warnock has sort of assiduously avoided speaking to this issue, as we've seen. And um, I do think that that is very telling. I mean, that is a subtle way, you know, 
of, of trying to get people to believe that this is an attack on him that is political, when in fact it's coming from, uh, you know, a former girlfriend and his son. I mean, it's, I, again, I, I don't believe people who are hardcore uh, Herschel Walker supporters are going to be not going to vote for him now because of this. I just don't believe that's true. The real question is how many people were leaning toward him or undecided and has he lost them because of this? Um, and that's who he has got to try to hang on to. Um, Renee, uh, Melita mentioned that Herschel Walker had a behind closed doors meeting with uh, some evangelical faith leaders uh, right after this story broke. He does have apparently a public appearance today out near his hometown of Wrightsville. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. But, but Renee, let me just read you a couple of quotes from that meeting with evangelical leaders. Um, Anthony George, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Atlanta, in that meeting, based on a video which the Atlanta Journal-Constitution obtained, called Walker, quote, our fellow conqueror, our brother, our friend. And then he said, Lord, in a prayer, we know this is a battle he's facing. It's more vicious than any sports field he's ever played on. This is the fight of his life. Holy God, we ask you to rebuke the devil. Satan will not get the victory. We know whatever the results of this election, Herschel wins. Renee, when you hear uh, that kind of evangelical response to all this, what are your thoughts? Well, it, it's a bit chilling, isn't it? I, 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 I think that, that, you know, here, here we are electing our leaders, our, the representative of our rights in Washington. And we're mired in talking about his personal foibles, the, the lies that he purportedly has told throughout his career and, and life. Um, you know, watching this dysfunction of his, his son Christian and, you know, I mean, really blow up on, on social media. And, you know, we can get talking about all of these, you know, very personal details that break your heart as a human, you know, I mean, wow, what, what they must be going through. But we have to all remember that this is an individual that the Republicans have nominated to represent us, right? And when you hear talk of Satan and, and you know, I mean, and, and really draw the line into a, a kind of a religious fervor, it, it it does throw red flags into the air where, you know, yes, we're, we're, we're all about redemption and forgiveness. And, you know, we all want the best for one another. But that's irrelevant when we go to the polls to elect our leaders. You know, they need to be the ones that actually stand up and with the truest character have our best interests at heart, all of us. And I, I, I don't think that the rhetoric from the evangelical community with respect to, to Walker holds any, any weight at all. Jordan actually mentioned, you know, of, of the, just the, the, the level and caliber of Republicans, um, nominees across the country and how it's just, you know, for the primary, it's worked for the general election. You just see how those, nominees are just not going to pass muster. Uh, I foresee the same thing happening with with Walker as he begins to implode. And, and I, we don't even, you know, I mean, this has been ongoing, right? This is just the latest of an ongoing drama after drama after drama. And here we are talking about his mental health and his purported, you know, potential gun violence and, and, and now this, um, we're not talking about the issues. We're not talking about, or we're not hearing him address the issues. And that's where I do think that the, the, the Georgia electorate is going to stand up and say, okay, who, who do we really want in Washington? Is it this guy or is it that guy? And, and, uh, and I, I foresee it, it going Warnock's way. Um, Jordan, uh, we know, you certainly know, that Brian Kemp has uh, done a pretty good job of running his own campaign. He is campaigning for himself. He is avoiding as much as possible uh, talking certainly about Donald Trump, 
Uh, he hasn't talked uh, uh, much about the fake electors and all that sort of thing. He stayed clear of it. So he's running his own campaign. So when Cody Hall, his spokesman, says the governor is laser focused on sharing his record of results and vision for his second term with hardworking Georgians um, and doesn't want to answer the question about Herschel Walker, it's not surprising. But on the other hand, it was an opportunity where he could have given some uh, aid to Walker in this difficult time. What are your thoughts on that, Jordan? I think the Kemp team has been pretty consistent throughout the last four years where they they have a goal. They're going to stick to their goal and they're not going to get distracted from it. Um, and, and yeah, they're they're on the, the Republican team, but. At the end of the day, they're focused on fundraising. They're focused on the events that they have to um, attend. And, you know, he he's probably the leader in all of this where his efforts are going to lead to the top end of the ticket, not Herschel Walker. Um, at the same time, Melita, while people like Jeff Duncan are backing away, I mean, we knew that Duncan was an anti-Trumper all along, uh, so maybe it's not surprising that he said even the most staunch Republicans are rattled. Uh, he's the one who said that every Republican knew there was baggage out there, but the weight of that baggage is starting to feel a little closer to unbearable at this point. You mentioned that yourself earlier in the show. But um, at the same time, the uh, NRSC, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, is absolutely doubling down on their commitment to Herschel Walker. Um, what do you make of that? It's their job to try and regain control of the Senate, and Herschel is one of their ways for doing so, and, and they have very few options aside from these flawed Trump-backed candidates <laughs> in their arsenal. And so they... They have no choice but to back down and spend more money and try to prop him up. But it's a tough road to hoe for them. And I would imagine there are people in Washington who are probably pulling their hair out at this moment if they have any hair left after the rocky road Republicans have had in defending these Trump-backed primary winners who do not look so good in a general election contest. All right, let's do this. Uh, thank you for a pretty uh, uh, exhaustive for today conversation about Herschel Walker and his problems. Uh, obviously, that story is not going away, so we will keep looking at it in the days and weeks ahead. But there's other political news as well, of course, and we'll talk about that more after these messages. Welcome back to Political Rewind. I have a quick uh, observation I want to share with all of you out there. Um, you know that I have routinely on the show suggested that we'd love to have you subscribe to the Political Rewind newsletter, which you can do at uh, at uh, gpb.org slash newsletters with, a, with an S at the end. And uh, any number of people write me and say, I subscribe, but I'm not getting it. And, and it suddenly occurred to me for the first time yesterday that before you think you're not getting the newsletter, um, when you it the 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 subject line that is going to appear in your inbox is Georgia G A today. Uh, the political rewind newsletter falls under our three day a week Georgia Today newsletter. So some of you may actually be getting it, and when you see G A today, don't think. That you are so. Take a look for that uh, the next time before you assume that whatever uh, has gone wrong has in fact gone wrong. If you have problems, you can always let me know, and I'll be glad to get our IT people to help you out. All right, uh, Kevin Riley. Before we talk about some specific headlines in political news, I I'd love to ask you about an important development in the relationship that GPB, the AJC has developed with a number of news organizations around the state and the fact that we're about to release as a joint effort our first poll. Talk about that a little. 
Yeah, for uh, really over a year, Bill, um, a large number of news organizations in Georgia have working to, been working together. We call ourselves the Georgia News Collaborative, and we've, we're doing a lot of different things with the goal of creating, promoting, and supporting more and better journalism in our state. And we should point out Mudno Now is part of this effort uh, as well, Renee Alegria, but go ahead. Yeah, in fact, there were 100 news organizations that are part of it. Mundo, of course, and the uh, Minority Media um, Coalition is is also uh, part of it, um, as well as um, the Georgia Press Association, which represents all the newspapers in the state. And so uh, next week, that or that those organizations will be releasing a poll that we work together on. Uh, that I think uh, your listeners and a lot of political types around the state will be looking forward to seeing. We've done it in cooperation with the University of Georgia. So we'll look forward to that. And again, the big effort is more, better journalism in Georgia to make sure people of those who listen to the show and others are as well-informed as citizens of the state as they can possibly be. Um. Renee, uh, this effort is all about trying to figure out ways in which um, the big news organizations around the state can support the smaller organizations and we can all work better in a more collaborative way. It's an important effort at a time when the news business is in serious transition, Renee. It certainly is. And I commend uh, Kevin for leading the charge on this and really looping in everyone and just an inclusive extraordinary effort um to to put the facts out there uh you know with through polls with what folks are thinking believing etc as we as the run-up to the midterms gets you know this last this last month is going to be a little crazy as we as we just discussed i you know it's, it's interesting to talk about how you know these politicians uh again and again vilify the media right it's it's about us and and it's not about their own accountability culpability uh as leaders and you know by working together we're able to show hey that's actually not us we're just asking the questions so that we know the full picture so that everyone understands who these individuals are the, the issues that they believe are important to their campaign and what they'll do when elected to public office. Uh, so we have two panelists today who are working right in the trenches on elections, and they do every cycle. Jordan, when, when you see polling from news organizations, um, what, what are the first things you look for beyond, obviously, the top lines? You, you start looking at the sample size. You start looking at the crosstabs, right, to make sure that what, what, a, what a news organization has done is really representative of the voting uh, public that's likely to show up at the polls. Right, Jordan? Yeah, I, th- I think you want to look at the margin of error. If anything higher than four or five percent, if you're leaning into a seven percent margin of error, do not read that poll. It's not accurate. Um, you're you're looking for weighting as well. Fifty percent of the state is not Republican. While 50 percent of the state identifies as conservative, it's not Republican. You have another 11 percent that identifies as independent. So you want to see that type of weighting in that poll. And if it oversamples women, it oversamples 65 plus, you're going to have a skewed poll. Melita, uh, when the AJC released its most recent poll, uh, there was some pushback from Democrats uh, because the the eight point gap between Abrams and uh, Kemp particularly uh, was questioned by some Democrats because there was a feeling that perhaps the pollsters who worked on that survey uh, oversampled Republicans. Uh, isn't that one of the concerns that you all had? That was one of the concerns. The other concern was that the sample size of, I believe, 861 was less than the 1,000 um, most people prefer to see in a poll. And um, because Georgia is one of the more dem- demographically diverse states in the nation, what Jordan said about the the sample and the distribution across age, race, and gender is very, very important. And so when those cross tabs 
don't match up with the demographics of the state, then you worry about the weighting of how the sample size that might be skewed then plays out in the results. Kevin, we always say when we release poll results, and I know you feel the same over at the AJC, polls are a snapshot of a moment in a campaign. They are not a predictor of the outcome. Kevin? Yeah, I agree, Bill. And in fact, one of the reasons I'm so proud to be affiliated with your show is that I think the uh, between the AJC and what we do on the show, we have the most intelligent conversations about polls that are available, I think, to people who care about politics. And so I, I, you know, I point that out always. It's a snapshot. In a moment in time, things change. Second is we always put all of the information, you know, Melita mentioned crosstabs, methodology crosstabs, so people can see this is how we did the poll, and they will spot the things that they may disagree with or they may see as uh, areas where are less, that are less easy to understand. And then, of course, the other thing is we work with the University of Georgia on this, and we have a lot of confidence in them, both their knowledge of the state, their commitment to the quality of the information. And as always, you know, people focus on the horse racing part of the poll. We understand that. But the other important thing is it digs deep and provides the information about what voters and citizens care about, what they're thinking about, what matters to them. And that's important for us to have that original information because politicians don't always want to talk about those things. They want to talk about the issues that tend to favor their campaigns. All right. Um, We'll look forward to seeing this poll. We'll certainly GPB News will be reporting it next week when it's finally available. And uh, we'll talk about it a bit on Political Rewind as well. We just wanted to let you all know it was coming. Um, Let's talk about fundraising for just a couple of minutes that we have left in the show today. Renee, uh, the Kemp campaign, we've just finished another reporting period. They come in three month cycles up until the election. Um, And this most recent three month cycle, the Kemp campaign collected some $29 million, which is more money than he ra- has raised in a three-month period this time than during his entire 2018 bid for election. Now, Abrams hasn't reported her totals yet, but we expect them very soon. It, they're expected to be bigger than Kemp's. But Brian Kemp has really become a fundraising machine, and part of it is doing the thing that he they used to criticize Abrams for. That's going outside the state uh, to get donors. Renee, have we lost you? No, no, no. I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, listen. When go you, ahead, when Renee. You the, when you add the two together, you basically get the GDP of Belize, you know? Um, <laughs> I, 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 listen, I... I the, the amount of money funneling into these local elections, state elections from the outside, it's no secret. It's happened. It's happening. Um, you know, when you when you get into uh, Stacey Abrams and the criticism that Kemp has of her being a national celebrity, not a not a Georgia centric leader, um, you know, now it's it's as you as you pointed out, it's, it's it's flipping around. Right. I mean, he sees that. Yeah, she's she's really uh, uh, raising and raising. What, what's 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 going to be interesting is how this then plays out in the last several weeks of of the campaign. I mean, what are they going to do with these funds? Right. Blitzkrieg. Who? What's the message? I think that's that's more importantly where we're going to see the difference in internal polls of each campaign. Um, they're going to tweak their message. They're going to really focus on the the margins. And uh, and that that's going to be interesting to see what happens. Hey, Jordan, with le- almost uh, just about a month or so left in this race, the question is, I think Renee sort of asked it, how, what do you do with all that money? That's maybe more money than you could possibly <laughs> spend on advertising, Jordan. <laughs> No kidding. Well, Kemp, first of all, Kemp is absolutely crushing it in terms of fundraising. And uh, in comparison, Abrams, her outside donors uh, almost entirely make up her entire pool of fundraising. So her percentage of Georgia donors is very, very small. As far as the spending in Georgia, uh, I, I believe that most of that money is going to be spent on convincing that final four, five percent of undecided vote hey, come come vote for us. And so it's it's really amazing to see 
how much money is spent not on getting Republican or Democratic turnout. It's really on that final three, four percent that is undecided. Melita, final quick word from you on this in terms of the spending that you would want to see going in what directions for candidates you support. Well, I think what's going to be interesting is to see how much both sides of the aisle funnel back down to grassroots get out the vote efforts. Because the mute button on TV remotes will be worn thin by people skipping commercials (laughs) that they're tired of seeing. (laughs) So I think it's going to be interesting to see how much they send down to grassroots to get out the vote. Oh, I I get that. The get out the vote effort, more important than ever in this cycle. Melita Easters, you get the last word on today's Political Rewind. Thank you so much for joining us, Melita. Jordan Fuchs, always happy to have you back with us. Renee Alegria, and of course, the boss, Kevin Riley. We were uh, uh, happy, as always, to have you with us, uh, too. Hey, tomorrow, John Pruitt, former anchorman, one of the best-loved anchors in Georgia television, is on the show to talk about his new book, which is a novelization of an infamous civil rights murder uh, here in uh, Georgia, it's, the, it's really the story which, when it happened for real, launched John Pruitt's career in TV news. We're going to talk with John Jim Galloway and I will on tomorrow's Political Rewind. That's it. We're out of time for today's show. Uh, back again, as I said, tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Please take care. Stay healthy, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>